You can always tell the age of your congregation by how excited they get about certain songs. I won't say any names like Doug or Yvonne or anything like that. They, they really seemed excited about that last song. I actually saw, I guess you would call Sandra, I, I think you call that dancing you were doing back there. I'm not real sure what that was, but it was intense. So, uh, man, let me turn my watch off real quick because um, I keep getting all these text to remind me to vote. And so um, don't need that during the sermon, right? I love the first week of a new series. I always tell you this, a lot of times we do four-week series, but those series, man, I've been thinking about that series for two and a half months. I've been preparing for it, studying for it. And so by the time we actually get to a series, I'm over the series. And we haven't even started teaching it. So I'm excited today to be teaching on some new subjects. And I'm excited today about this subject, because it's just one of those subjects that I feel like I live my life by. I I think there's a lot of areas in my life that I do really, really poor in, especially as a Christ follower. But then there's some areas in my life that, man, they just click with me. And man, life giving you lemons and being able to turn it into lemonade, I feel like is one of the things that I'm going to be able to teach from the Word of God, but also come along and say, hey, here's some things that I do And as we're in this series, I don't think that any of us would disagree with this statement. 2020 has been one giant lemon. There's not one person here today that would say January 1st of last year, you expected this year to go just as it's went. It's been curveball after curveball, roadblock after roadblock, obstacle after obstacle, pandemic after pandemic. It has just been a crazy year. It's been one giant lemon. And when life gives you lemons, you have two choices. You can bite the lemon and see how sour it is, which seems to be, believe it or not, what most of us do. It's the least appealing of the two options, but it seems to be what most of us do. We sit and we focus on all the negativity and all the things that went wrong and how it didn't go as we planned. Or you can take that lemon, you can squeeze that lemon, you can add some sugar to that lemon juice, And you can make a cool, tall, refreshing glass of lemonade. The choice is yours. You can get sour about the lemons that are thrown your way. Or you can make lemonade out of the lemons that have been thrown your way. We live in a day and time where, we're honest with you, nobody would blame you for being sour about the lemons that we've been dealt I think even sometimes, and I am super guilty of this living in Georgia, we forget how bad the rest of the country is suffering right now. I have friends in the event business who message me all the time. They're like, you just did what? And I said, yeah, we just had a big festival. and They're like, we can't even go eat in a restaurant yet. There's so many people that are out of jobs So many people are losing their homes. Even here in our state, that's happening a lot. I hear of businesses every day that are closing down because of what's going on. And and with the economy like it is, 
It's easy to get sour with the lemons that have been dealt you. With the job market like it is. It's easy to get sour with marriages like they are. I saw something today that said this will be a record number of divorces in 2020. Couples actually had to do this amazing thing called spend time together this year. And they realized, man, I didn't like them and I didn't have to spend time with them. I hate them now that I have to spend time with them. It's real easy to get sour with the lemons that are dealt us. It's real easy not to be able to find happiness in what's going on in our life. But I've learned that in order to find true happiness, you have to live with a daily mindset of happiness. Make no mistake about it today. Let me make this clear to you, and you're going to hear this out through the entire series. Some of you are going to disagree with it, and it will be one of those situations where those of you who disagree, you're simply wrong. I'm going to show you biblically where you're wrong. Because we've been fed a lie about happiness. We think happiness comes from our circumstances. We think happiness comes from our inner peace. We think happiness comes from our things. But very simply, let me sum it up for you. Happiness is very simply a choice. You choose to be happy... Or you choose to be unhappy. It's an appropriate series, especially with the election tomorrow. Because the election gets us thinking about our country. And what our country was founded on. And our country, do you know, was founded with the sole opportunity for individuals to find happiness. In the Declaration of Independence, the most popular phrase is life liberty, and the pursuit of. That's why our country was founded. Life, guaranteed. Liberty, guaranteed. Happiness, not guaranteed. But we're going to give you the opportunity to pursue that happiness. We're going to give you the opportunity to make the choice to be happy. And it's funny, we look to everything and anything to bring us happiness. We look everywhere for it. We look to our jobs for happiness. How many people post, just got a new job and I'm so excited. Six months later, I hate my job. (laughs) You know. We look to our finances for happiness. We're happy when we have money in the bank. We're unhappy when we don't have money in the bank. We look to good times for happiness. I'm just happy right now. We look to circumstances to bring us happiness. We look to our spouse to bring us happiness. Let that sink in for a moment. Those of you that have been married more than 30 days. (laughs) I love my wife. But if I look to Christine to bring me happiness, let's let's change that. If Christine looks to me to bring her happiness, she is going to find herself lacking in that area. 
We look to everything and anything for happiness. Yet it seems like we live in some of the unhappiest times around us. Literally, I feel like I am surrounded by miserable people. It doesn't matter what goes on in their life. It doesn't matter how good things are in their life, how great things are in their life. It doesn't matter how bad things are in their life. We live around people who are simply unhappy. I put on an event yesterday. It was the first time I had ever done an event for the Cherokee Parks and Rec. It was a great event. It was beautiful weather and it was great crowds. And at the end, it's funny because they're all kind of new to events. And they said, man, this is awesome. And I said, I need to prepare you for something. And I said, what? I said, the people that had a great time just came and had a great time. They'll never say anything. But there's a Karen out there. And I said, she's going to complain about something. And they're like, what? There's no way. I said, okay. We clean up and I get in my car and I go to the event page. And the first comment, I swear, says this. If I'm lying, I'm dying, strike me dead right now. Not trying to be a Karen. Let me guarantee how you're being a Karen. If you start your sentence with not trying to be a Karen, you're a Karen. Just couldn't find any parking. Wish you could do something about that. Yes, we will do something about that. We will clear out another 30 acres and pour more asphalt. Sorry, you couldn't find a parking space. We call that a good thing. She looked at it as a negative thing. Now, did she have a valid argument? Probably I would be frustrated if I couldn't have found a parking space. But the point is this. Five to 6,000 something people over four hours came to an event And the one who's vocal about it is the unhappy person. Because misery loves company. So literally, someone from Parsha said, how do we respond to this? I said, you don't respond to it. What do you mean? I said, just watch. People will respond to it. I said, huh? I said, trust me. I got people. And they will respond to it. The lady asked me, she said, are you going to tell them what to say? I said, no, I'm too busy. I'm not even going to let them know about it. But trust me, pop you some popcorn. Fix you a drink. Don't worry about there not being a good movie on. That comment's about to get fun. 37 replies later to the not caring, I finally said, it's probably time to delete the comment. What? I said, it's going to get real ugly. That lady might go home and slit her wrist night, and we don't want that to be the byproduct of our event. And they said, what were those people doing? I said, they're people who had a good time, and they're sick of the negativity that goes on in our world. Just let them handle it. Man, the unhappiest people around. Unhappy. We allow things to make us happy. And we allow things to make us unhappy. I mean, think about it. Something as simple as the weather can make us unhappy. I got up Thursday morning before I knew everybody else wasn't going to have power for three or four days. 
before I knew that I had friends and people I cared about, that it had trees go through their houses and trees go through their cars. And I looked in my backyard and had about 30 limbs down. And I allowed that to make me unhappy. Instead of being thankful that my house was still standing, that none of those limbs had hit my house, that none of those limbs had hit my car, that I still had my power on, I've caught myself getting real, real quick unhappy, allowing simple things to dictate my happiness. We allow people to make us unhappy. Did you see what so-and-so wrote? Who cares? Like how does, in the grand scheme of things, how does that affect us? But we allow it to affect us. We choose to be unhappy. We're miserable people. I used to think it was only northerners that was this way. (laughs) Then I started pastoring southerners. And they're just as miserable. People in general are just unhappy people because we depend on everything and anything to make us happy. You would think based on the logic of our society that situations make us happy, that a book in the Bible that is all about happiness would be written in a happy place. Paul wrote the book of Philippians, it's four chapters, and over and over and over he talks about joy and he talks about rejoicing And if you were to read the book and how he's encouraging people to be happy no matter what, you would think it was written while he was sitting in a bubble bath, surrounded by baby unicorns, having the best drink ever. But it's not. You would think he wrote the book of Philippians while sitting out in a field of sunflowers as margaritas rained down the waterfall. But it's not. (laughs) You would think he had wrote the book after some great victory in his life. But none of those places are where Paul wrote the book of Philippians. He actually wrote the book of Philippians while in jail. For about a 10-year period leading up to Paul's death, he was in and out of prison Nonstop for preaching the message of Jesus Christ. Theologians and scholars based on different writings believe at the time he wrote Philippians, he had been in jail for four years. Four years. I'm not talking about country club jail like we have nowadays. Someone was telling me the other day, if you're in jail now, you can text people. From jail. I saw a guy the other day posting on Facebook, and I'm like, isn't he in jail? They're like, yeah. Like, jails, now don't get me wrong, I don't want to go to jail. I, I am not made for jail. Okay? A lot of things I'm made for, not jail. But it sounds like jail today compared to jail in. Paul's time was pretty easy. There was no windows in what Paul would have been in. 
There was no bed in the jail that Paul would have been in. No table, no chairs. His, his cell would have literally been a cave in the side of a mountain. He would have been deep down in this hole. There would have been a small opening at the top of the cave where they would have been able to lower food down to him. No daylight, no walks in the prison yard. And at the time of this writing, he's been there, they believe, for four years. This time in jail, Paul would never get out of jail. He would eventually be beheaded and he would die. And it's in this environment where Paul decides if life gives you lemons, I'm just going to be happy about those lemons. It's in this environment that he wrote to the church at Philippi, and in four chapters, it's four chapters long. I just don't like to read. You should read these four chapters. Okay? I get it, man. Reading's beneath you. You should read these four chapters. Because in these four chapters, he tells them to rejoice 11 times, and he talks about joy five times. Five plus 11, what is that? 16? Five and 11, 16? Okay. I thought it was, but I wrote down 17 for some reason, so it was messing me up. 16 different references to happiness in four short chapters. While he's been in jail for four years. Paul knew something very, very important. And it's something we need to learn today. Happiness doesn't come from your circumstances. When life gives you lemons, you can still be happy. When life doesn't go like you think it ought to go, you can still be happy. When you dictate and write out the plans for your life, basically all you do is make God laugh because it's not going to go that way and you can still be happy. Some of the happiest days of my life on the outside were some of the darkest days of my life. Because make no mistake about it today, happiness is a choice. Paul even says this. He's standing before Agrippa. I'm going to preach about this probably next week. Paul has been beaten. He's near death. And King Agrippa says, what do you got to say for yourself? And Paul said, I have nothing to say. I think myself happy. He said, I just choose to be happy even though I'm about to die. Happiness is a choice. And there's so much to cover in the book of Philippians. I don't know how long we'll be in this. I'm hoping to get done with it by the end of November. But we're just going to go chapter by chapter through this book, and we're going to break it down. In Philippians 1, about verse 12 is where we'll start, because I love what Paul says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that's key to me. It's key in how he worded that. He starts the book off in the first 11 verses with some pleasantries. Hope you guys are well. Hope your mom's good. How's your mom and them? Blah, blah, blah. I'm just chilling here in jail. Hey, now I need you to know something. He said, let me set the record straight on something. He said, I'm sure there's a lot of rumors going around about me, a lot of thoughts about me. So I need you to know something. I need to set the record straight, if you will. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me. Now, this is important. Again, we, we're going to get through this chapter, but we're going to get through this verse first. 
He said, I need you to know something about what's happened to me. Now, you need to understand what's happened to Paul before we can get into the rest of the book because you've got to understand where he's been. Don't miss this. This is good preaching if a white boy is doing it. You've got to know where he's been to appreciate where he's at. If you don't understand where he's been, you overlook where he talks about rejoicing. If you don't know where he's been, you don't totally contextualize the times he's talking about having joy. You got to know where he's been to appreciate where he's at. (laughs) Now, we understand he's in prison, but that's not all he's talking about at this moment. Paul is living out the life that God has called him to do. And by living out the life that God has called him to do, it has cost him dearly. Paul says, I need you to understand what's happened to me. He's not just talking about prison. He's talking about all the trials and the tribulations that he's been through. And then he just kind of lays them out over in 2 Corinthians. Look what he says, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman. But I have served him far more. He says, I, I'm about to tell you, I know this sounds crazy because I'm going to list all the things I've been through, but I, I still choose to serve God. He says, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and I've faced death again and again. He says, five different times, five times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. They beat him 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, clarifying that, threw rocks at him, stoned him with rocks. Not beaten and, hey, I just got stoned. You're like, that sounds good to me. No, got beat, thrown rocks at him. Once I was stoned. Listen to this. Three times I was shipwrecked. Paul, stay off the boat. Three times I was shipwrecked. I can't find my place in the Bible now. I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. 24 hours, he's just floating around on the water. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Jim's house. I have faced, I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. He said, I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry. I have been thirsty. And I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, he said, I have a daily burden for my concern for all the churches. He says, hey, I need you to understand something. I need you to understand that in spite of all that I've been through, I'm about to lay some truth out on you. He says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, check this out. All those things I just listed. All that's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He said, it sucked. They beat me. They mocked me. I've been shipwrecked. I've done all these crazy things. But guess what? In the end, it advanced the gospel. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, it sucks on the outside. But the reality is it's been awesome because Jesus has been made famous as I go through these tribulations. Life gave me lemons, and I chose to make lemonade. 
Life put me in situations that I never wanted to be in, but it's advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I could have sat back and felt sorry for myself. I could have sat back and got angry. I could have sat back and got depressed. I could have found somebody to sit around and whine with me about it. I could have drank away and tried to forget about it. But I chose to do my calling and my purpose in spite of all those things. Life gave me lemons, and I'm making lemonade. There's power in that verse, but so many of you are missing out on it because you're wallowing in your lemons. You're miserable human beings. And it comes out in everything that you are, everything that you do, and everything that you say. And nobody will speak the truth to you in your life because misery loves company and you only hang around people who feed your misery. And you want to know why no one wants to hang out with you? It's because you're miserable. And 2020 has magnified your negativity. You're wallowing in it. What a horrible way to live. What a horrible way to live. To get up every day. With this amazing gift we have called life. And to know you waste it. Blows my mind. It makes me feel sorry for you. It makes me, and I don't don't use this word lightly. It makes me pity you. I don't think there could be anything more degrading than someone have pity on me but Gary you don't know does it matter does it matter it's not that those things are not important it's not what you're going through is irrelevant the point is happiness is a choice and you're making your situation 10 times worse by wallowing in it by being consumed with it You let it relive every day. It's like the movie with Bill Murray, Groundhog Day. You get up every day and your misery just focuses. Your relationship with your kids aren't like it wants to be. I'm sorry, that's horrible. I've been there. I've had that situation. But you can choose to be happy. Your marriage isn't what you want it to be. And I get it. But happiness is a choice. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. That means you're responsible for how you respond to situations and how you act in situations. And when you let somebody else or circumstances control you, you're saying, I'm weak. And they're the puppet master. But Gary, I suffer from this emotional thing. And that I'm, listen, I'm not downplaying emotional things. I get it. Some people suffer from depression. Some people suffer from anxiety. Some people struggle from, I get all those things. Even the ones that I don't struggle with, I get it. I get that they're real. But when you refuse to take the steps to defeat those things, when you refuse to use the biblical principles that are laid out in this book to defeat those things, You're simply announcing to the world, I am weak. And we have a culture now that glorifies the weak. 
I know today's not going to be popular. And I'm, I didn't get my Bible open because I'm just rabbit trailing out even in my notes today. I'm this passionate about these issues. We have a culture now that glorifies the helpless. Instead of those who can get a grip on their issues and take the steps. And I didn't say it would be easy because anything worth having is never easy. But we're weak and we glorify weakness nowadays. There's this band I like. I'm not going to call them out. I'm into this band and um, the guy has struggled with addiction over the years. And I guess he relapsed. And he put out a song this last week or last month. He made a YouTube. It's just him strumming a guitar on YouTube. And it's like, uh, uh, I'm using again. I'm using it. Basically, whining and crying and moping about the fact that he strung out on heroin again. And I can't think, help but think to myself as I read the comments, why is nobody close enough to him to come to him and say, man, it sucks you're using again. Get your crap together. Instead, the song has made him a hero to people as they glorify him in his struggle. He's not praising his struggle. No, he is praising his struggle. Instead of singing about overcoming his struggle, I'll never listen to his music because it's weakness. I don't think I'll ever be back. Cool. If you're looking for a church to coddle you in your weakness... I'm not doing it. Paul's in prison. Paul's about to die. And yet over and over and over, he's like, rejoice. Have joy. Here's what I find purpose in. Hey, let me give you a reality. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Listen, Mm, this is powerful stuff. The gospel was advanced. He said, I'm in prison, but I'm advancing the gospel. This isn't how I would have chose to do it, but I'm advancing the gospel. Let's get on the next verse. Hey, we're only one verse in. Verse 13. As a result, it has been become, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. He's in chains for his faith. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. He's saying because they see me choosing happiness in the midst of this, the other Christ followers are becoming confident in their faith. When the world looks at the church as being weak, why would they want the God that we serve that makes us weak like them? Makes no sense. And because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. And they dare all the more to proclaim that. He said, because they've seen me in prison being happy, rejoicing, they become all the more bold in their faith. (laughs) Paul's been through all this and he's rejoicing. He says, man, this is the happiest book in the Bible. He's going to be executed for his faith, and he writes the happiest book in the Bible. So the question becomes, what was wired in Paul that enabled him to rejoice in the midst of an outward hell? Before we get into that, I want to ask you, what is it today that's robbing you of your joy? What is it? 
What is it in your life that is so overwhelming you've allowed it to defeat you and sap you of the amazing thing called life? What is it? What is the big bad boogeyman under your bed that's ruining the one shot you have at life? There are no do-overs. You don't get to do it again. You're not coming back as a tree, a dog, or anything else. Your last breath here, you're done. You're going to be in heaven. You're going to be in hell, one or the other. So what is the thing that's so big causing you to miss out on the awesomeness that is life? I'm in a loveless marriage. Yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry. Been there, done that, got it. It sucks. Not downplaying it. But are you going to allow it to ruin your whole life? Children are making horrible choices. Good God. Woo! I got 732 of them, I understand. There's times I just don't understand what my kids are doing. But are you going to let that ruin your life? Maybe you're dealing with a physical ailment that's draining you. I'm not downplaying. Don't miss this. I'm not downplaying what you're going through. The problem is you're downplaying the power of happiness. You're downplaying the power of choice. You're downplaying, do not miss this. You're downplaying your God. Because I'm going to be honest with you. If my God wasn't big enough to get me through a loveless marriage, he ain't a God worth serving. If my God ain't big enough to get me through financial distress, he's not a God worth serving. The problem is so many of you got a small God. Because you don't have the God of the Bible. You don't realize how big and how powerful the God we serve is. And how God will get you through anything. He never promised you all sunny days. There'll be tough times along the way. Paul was in prison for his faith, for taking a stand for Christ. He's going to be executed because he was a Christ follower. Imagine that. You're a Christ follower and you're going to die for it. And Paul decided to be happy in that. Here's the I don't know the circumstances that are robbing you of happiness. I don't understand. I don't know the circumstances that are robbing you of joy. I don't know the circumstances that that are robbing you of being able to rejoice. But I do know whether they're self-induced or whether the results of someone else's actions, you can have happiness today. Because happiness is a choice. When life gives you lemons, you can make lemonade. If you're willing to make lemonade. You know why no one's amening today? Because the truth hurts. You know why it's silent today? Because I've hurt some of your feelings today. Let me make this very clear to you. I love you as your pastor, but I will not apologize for preaching the truth to you. The world has enabled you to be soft. Our culture has enabled us. Man, I am about to sound like the oldest man in the world. We are raising a generation of weak people 
Because we won't speak the truth to them. We won't let our kids fail. And then we wonder why when they fail, how they go into a spiral and don't know how to get out of it. Let them lose. My son's on this soccer team. I, man, he's got this coach. This coach is awesome. We have been on some crappy teams. My kids, we were like, it's like the joke in our house, man. We get put on the worst teams every year. The kids do, then it's just the luck of the draw. They're on this team this year, and this dude is, he's bad to the bone. And so they're undefeated, and two weeks ago they tie. The other team acts like they won the game because they tied. So our kids were mad they tied. I was like, oh, I dig that. I said, I wonder what the coach is going to say. He pulls them off to say, he said, you kids did good today. I'm proud of you. But let me make this clear. You did not win today. I said, oh, yeah. He said, they'll get an award at the end of the year for participating. You'll only get a trophy if we win. I said, God, I I called the soccer league. I said, I want my son on this guy's team every single year. We're seeing the results of a participation society. They get it over there. If you're taking notes, write this down. Our happiness has nothing to do with what is happening to us, but everything to do with what God is doing in us and through us. And that's where you miss out on the hard times. That's where you miss out on the bad times. You look at, I'm happy or not happy, instead of looking at it and saying, man, God's in the middle of all the times. What's he trying to teach me in this time? Paul said, I don't have to find joy in where I am. There's no way Paul looked around in prison and said, man, I dig this. This is awesome. He said, I don't have to find prison in where I am. He said, but I'm going to find joy in what God's allowing me to do while I'm in prison. I'm going to find joy in the opportunities that are before me. I don't find joy in my circumstances, but I find joy in the lessons. Paul had always wanted to go to Rome and preach the gospel. Guess where he was? He's in Rome now, in prison with a captive audience. He's preaching all day, every day. Don't miss this. Paul couldn't change his circumstances. Some of you can't change your circumstances. I get that. Paul couldn't change his circumstances, but he could change how he viewed his circumstances. You and your kids aren't clicking. Your kids are off in rebellion. There ain't nothing you can do to change that. But you can change how you view it. That's good news today. You don't have to wait for your circumstances to change to find joy and happiness. You don't have to wait for your bills to be paid to find happiness. You don't have to wait for the job offer to come in to find happiness. You don't have to wait for your spouse to be what you think they ought to be to find happiness. You don't have to wait for your children to start acting right for you to have happiness. You don't have to have a nicer car to have happiness. You don't have to wait for the house to sell to have happiness. Preaching to myself right there. 
You don't have to wait for the raise to find happiness. Because happiness is not found in circumstances. Happiness is found in the choice to be happy. Your happiness is not determined by what is happening to you. But rather it's dictated on what God is doing in you and through you. Some of you are in a bad place today. I understand that. Some of you right now got your butt on your shoulders because I've made you mad today. I understand that. But you have not chosen to walk out today. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you how you can change how you view your circumstances. I cannot teach you today how to change your circumstances because there's some things you cannot change. But I can show you how to view those circumstances. The first one is this. We're going to accept the process. You've heard me use the phrase embrace the suck before. We're going to accept the process. One thing that's amazing to me about Paul, he's in prison, just had his teeth kicked in, and there's no whining, no feeling sorry for himself, no crying the blues. You know why? Because Paul understood the process. Paul realized something that the church in America would do well to realize. The church in America preaches that once you enter into a relationship with Christ, you'll never have hard times again. Everything will be great. Why would we think that, though? Why would we be so arrogant to think we're not going to go through hard times? <laughs> Let me encourage you today. You ready to be encouraged? You say, Gary, you beat us up. So how many, say, Give us one thing encouraging. Here's the encouragement. You ready? You and I. You ready? It's encouraging. You and I. We will suffer. Say, why is that encouraging? Because once you accept it, you can begin to take the next steps. The church today is wealth and health equals happiness. Wealth and health equals happiness. God just wants you to prosper. I just want you to be rich. I hear this all the time when I'm listening to preachers on podcasts and television shows. If God wanted you to be rich, now here's the deal. God's not anti you being rich. Let me make that very clear to you. But if God's will was for every single person to prosper financially, then everybody's bills would be paid. You know why? Because it'd be God's will. And what does that say about Jesus? Because he was born to a rich family or a poor family? Poor family. He worked a common job as a carpenter for 30 years. He spent three years in ministry, broke, don't miss this, homeless. He said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Many times hungry. And even when it came time to pay his taxes, like some of us, at different times in life, he couldn't do it. So why would we think we would be any different than Jesus? I heard a 
preacher the other day listening. He said, God wants you to have great relationships and be a victor. That's what he said. He said, all your relationships should be fantastic. Oh. I read the Bible and I see Jesus, the Savior. His family disowned him. His friends abandoned him. Jesus betrayed him. The crowd screamed, crucify him. And I don't mean to overstate my case, but it seems like time and time again, Jesus had relational strain in his life. Why would we think we're not going to have relational strain? I'm just asking. God doesn't want you in pain. I listen to this radio station on the way in every Sunday morning. And I'm old. And my body doesn't recover like it used to. And I had this festival. My feet hurt. I got somewhere so good. My feet hurt. I'm just aching. I'm old. And I'm, I'm lying if I'm dying. I didn't get in the car today. And this guy was talking to me. He said, man, if you're feeling pain and you're sick, that's just lack of faith. That's what he said. He's what he said. He said, God doesn't want you to have pain. You can take it to the bank. You shouldn't have pain. Some of you are like, well, man, I have constant pain. I wonder if Jesus had any pain when he was beaten and his beard was plucked and a crown of thorns was put on his head and he was whipped nearly to the point of his own death. And I wonder if he had any pain when he was crucified and they nailed him to the cross. So again, you're saying, we're going to live a life different than what Jesus lived. He came to live a life that you and I lived. <laughs> God wants you to be a victor. God doesn't want you to be a victim. Be a victor. Man, Jesus was victimized over and over and over. Some of you have been victimized. I get it. It's heartbreaking. Jesus was victimized with false accusations, false witness, false trial, false condemnation, false execution. That's being a victim. There's going to come times in life where you're victimized but you can still find happiness because you accept the process. Say, why are you throwing all that that out to us? I'm just trying to lay a groundwork of of this. A relationship with Jesus isn't all lollipops and cotton candy and riding unicorns in a field of tulips. It's just not. The Bible says in this world you'll have trouble. You need to accept the process. How many of you are married today? You're married. Raise your hand. You need to accept that there's going to be times in your marriage that it's bad. So you're not being very encouraged today. I, I, I'm just trying to give you reality. How many of you got a job out there? You, you work. You work. Guess what? There's going to be times your job sucks. How many have kids? Have kids. of the time, especially once they turn 13, it's going to be horrible. How many have friends? Guess what? Five years from now, some of the people you think are your friends today won't even be in your life. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just simply saying life is rough sometimes. You need to accept the process because the quicker you accept it, 
you can move past it. So many of you are fighting the process instead of accepting the process. There was nothing for Paul to fight. He's in prison. There's nothing he can do to get out of it. He can get angry about it, bitter about it, mad about it, or he can accept it. And when you want happiness in your life and you want joy in your life, you have to accept the things that are going on in your life because happiness doesn't come from things or circumstances. It comes from a choice to be happy. Got to accept the process. (laughs) There's only two chapters in the Bible where everything was good. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. About Genesis 3, the serpent came along and it all went to hell. You got to accept the process. You've got to gain perspective in your suffering. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters that become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the God. He said, because I'm in prison, everyone else is more bold about their faith. They say hindsight is twenty twenty. Many times we can't fully see the good and the bad of a situation until we're out of it. Paul, as he's sitting in prison, he begins to gain perspective on the situation. He begins to look at the good things in his life and the bad things in his life. And he looks and says, you know what? The perspective is because I'm in prison. I get to spread the gospel. I look back over my life and some of the darkest days of my life, and I get to have some of my biggest ministry today because of the mess then. I didn't see it at the moment. But if we stop and quit being defeated in our mess, we're going to realize, man, that all things work together for the good to those that love God. God has a plan in your mess. God has a purpose in your mess. God has a, 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 an exciting unveiling for you in your mess. But you've got to gain perspective in it. You're too busy wallowing in it. You're too busy feeling sorry for yourself. You're too busy dwelling on something that happened five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, instead of gaining perspective in the midst of that suffering. You lost a child. That's horrible. But maybe God, the perspective is God's going to have you come along someone else who loses a child and walk that dark, dark path with them. You went through a divorce. It's horrible. But guess what? There's going to be someone that's going to come along, and you're going to walk with them through their divorce. I've said it over and over and over. Your greatest ministry comes from your biggest mess. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. It's your suffering. All of our suffering is different because the plan for God's life for all of us is different. Next thing we're going to do, we're gaining perspective. We're going to discover God's purpose. You're going to discover God's purpose in the midst of the mess. God has a purpose. Don't miss this. God has a purpose in our suffering. I told you Paul always wanted to go to Rome. Guess what? He got a one-way ticket to Rome via the prison system. And now he got to preach day after day after day after day. Chained to a guard, he got to preach Jesus. Look what he says in verse 12. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rival, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition and sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He had to repeat himself because he knew they were going to think, man, what did he just say? He's rejoicing in the midst of this. He said, I rejoice because Jesus is being preached. The purpose of me being here was to give boldness to the other Christ followers. The purpose of me being here is I get to preach to the, to the guards every single day. Paul was finding purpose and happiness in his circumstances. And instead, oh, don't miss this. And instead of focusing on his problem, he focused on his purpose. That's powerful. The reason most of you can't have happiness is very simply you don't know what your purpose is. And every time I say that, someone says, how do I discover my purpose? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's already there and you know it. You're just scared of it. You're scared to get you out of your comfort zone. You know what gets you excited. You know what you're passionate about. I'm going to pick on her and I don't normally pick on people that um, I haven't came to before, especially when I've never picked on them before. But I'm going to pick on a bomb for a minute. She's, she's been through the ringer in the last couple of years. She's been through some things, new state, new thing. And then she came to me two weeks ago, and it kind of got me excited. She almost had a chip on her shoulder about it. What's the plan for the food pantry? I said, I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, it needs to keep going. I started chuckling. I said, oh, someone discovering their purpose? I, I mean, it don't need to shut down because Eileen's taking a break. Well, I mean, we've got a plan and we've got this and we've got that. And she came to me with that northern attitude <laughs> that I normally would have elbow dropped to the head. But I didn't. You know why? Because I started getting excited watching her excited about something. It's discovering her purpose. Discovering her calling. Now, that's dangerous to come to the preacher and let them know your purpose because this Wednesday, she's going to get a lot of stuff thrown in her lap without me even asking. But you know what? She's starting. And again, I'm not, I'm not, my wife hasn't even shared with me hardly any of it. But the things she's going through in her life are valid. But when you change your focus from those to the purpose of helping others, you start to come out of that. Yes. Happiness is a choice. <laughs> God wanted the gospel spread in Rome. So he put Paul in prison in Rome to start preaching to the guards who started preaching throughout the courthouse and lives begin to change. The last thing and I'm done, got to get to a birthday party apparently. You need to realize that you're suffering isn't permanent. This one's life-changing. This actually gets me choked up. I get that in the midst of the suffering, it seems never-ending. I get when you're in the valley, you can't see the mountaintops because of the dark clouds. But suffering is never permanent. 
Someone's going to come up to me after and be like, well, what about someone who has cancer and dies from it? They took their last breath here and woke up in the presence of God. Suffering isn't permanent. It's horrible when you're going through it. I know I've been hard today, but I want you to understand something. If I could take away the suffering in your life, I would. I hate to see people suffering. But I've just been doing this gig long enough to know that it takes the suffering to get you where God wants you to be. The hardest people to get to Jesus are the people that have it all together because they think they got it all together. Sometimes, especially if you're an idiot like me, man, God sometimes has got to knock you on your back where you got no choice but to look up. Man, I love how Paul closes out this chapter. We're just in one chapter here. There's three more to go. You say, how could this dude have happiness in the midst of a circumstance? Look what he says. Verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ. He says, if, if I keep living in prison, it's Christ. I get to preach Christ everywhere I go as long as I'm alive. So if I get to live, I win. I get to preach Christ. He said, but to die is gain. He said, what's the worst that can happen to me here? They kill me? He said, I gain heaven. I win-win. It's a winning situation for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will be fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to part and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and their joy. He said, he goes, listen, it's better for me to go to heaven. That's what I want. He said, but also if I stay here, I get to keep teaching you about Jesus and watching you go teach others about Jesus. Win-win. Suffering's never permanent. It's never permanent. Your misery will be your ministry. Happiness is a choice. Except two things. In this life, it will suck. In this life, you will get lemons. There's no way to avoid it. But you can choose happiness in the midst of it. Or, or you can do what the large majority of us all do and stay miserable. But here's the thing about staying miserable. It don't change your circumstances. They're still there. You're just miserable in the midst of them. Why not have the circumstances that you can't change, but choose in spite of those circumstances to be happy? Seems so much better. Let's pray.